Okay. Yeah, it's so true. You all know that's that's the reality, right? I mean, come on. We all know that we have those moments, those those moments where it just makes it really, really difficult. But, you know, this morning, you guys look good. You look like you're ready to go. You look awake and alert, like you've had your coffee and you're tanked up and got the caffeine pumping through your veins. You're a good-looking group this morning. Uh, I, I am a coffee drinker, and um, judging by our, what our carpet normally looks like here, I'm in good company. We have a lot of coffee drinkers here. I actually, um, I think of my spills and my contributions to the overall artwork of our carpet as incorporation of the arts into our worship. And I believe that's a spiritual act of worship to the Lord. So, so you are in good company this morning if you're a coffee drinker. I, I was looking at an article this week. By the way, um, Pastor John and Kim are on vacation this week, uh, and so they're going to be come, uh, returning next week. They'll be back. We're going to be diving into a new series that uh, Pastor John is going to lead us in, um, and I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be awesome. So, uh, so this week you get me. So here we go. So I was looking at this article this week, and uh, I love it. it was, it's what your coffee drink says about you. So for all of you coffee drinkers, I don't know what your beverage of choice is, but do we have any mocha drinkers here? Anybody like mochas? Okay, great. If you are a mocha drinker, you are fun-loving and creative. You hate the taste of coffee, but when you need a pick-me-up, you'll improvise. So you like the chocolate, not necessarily the coffee. What about Americanos? Do we have any Americano drinkers in here? Okay, we got a few. Okay. I like Americanos. Uh, if you're an Americano drinker, drinker you are uh, calm and conscientious. Uh, you enjoy the simple things in life, like picnics in the park, birds chirping, and watery coffee. <laughs> Americanos, for maybe if you're not a coffee aficionado, that is espresso and water. So it's just kind of watered coffee. <laughs> So um, any latte drinkers, I like a good latte, especially if the foam is right and they can do some foam art on top and you got the nice latte. Well, if you're a latte drinker, you are reflective, but often indecisive. In a world of unknowns, you take the safe pick. Can't go wrong with a latte. It's hard to mess up a latte. What about a triple espresso? Now that is, now we're getting hardcore. Now we're getting into the addicts and those who need some repentance this morning. Okay, uh, so if you are a triple espresso drinker, it says you are enthusiastic but obsessive. You've been awake since the late 90s. <laughs> we'll pray for sleep. How about iced coffee on a nice hot day here in SoCal and iced coffee? Well, that means that you are assertive and outspoken. You don't let the seasons dictate how you live your life. And you like straws. Okay. Now, this, this one's my favorite. Frappuccino, right? We have any Frappuccino fans? Okay, great. So, you Frappuccino people, you are happy and energetic. You claim to love coffee, but really you just like ice cream. I love that. I love that article because... Isn't it amazing how somebody can take the sum total of who you are in all of your complexity and intricacy and narrow that down to your coffee drink and assign to you 
a whole personality profile based on your coffee. That's amazing. We make these kind of judgment calls all the time about people, though, don't we? We take something that we see on the outside, and it might be just one fact or one little thing, and then we start to fill in the gaps. And we have any people watchers here? You just like to, like, kind of, sometimes, people are interesting. I was running, uh, I was down running along the beach in Venice, in Venice yesterday with a friend, and, uh, and I was people watching as we run along, and there are some interesting characters in Venice to watch. And, um, and I was just thinking, you know, I can take a look at them, I can see what they're wearing, I can see how they have their hair, I can see these outward things, and I can instantly, I mean, I can instantly come up with what they're into, what their character's like. They must be, oh, they are, they're mean. I don't, I, why would they even be like that? Or, wow, they're the great, that, that's somebody I would want to hang out with. And we can, we can fill in the gaps for people. And that is scary sometimes if somebody is filling in the gaps for us, right? I mean, that, that could go both ways. So the scary thing about that is that what you think that you represent can be very different than people's perceptions of you, right? That, that can be a little scary. For instance, you don't want to be the guy that shows up to your 20-year high school reunion still wearing the same clothes that were really cool back then, but now, now, oh no, oh no, Her- Harold, Harold, I'm sorry to tell you, man, the fanny pack was cool. It was cool back then. Oh, no, I saw Kim Kardashian wearing one of these. No, I, I, no I'm really sure you know she what? wasn't. Just beat it. <laughs> okay, can we give Harold a hand? He illustrates the point well, and Harold, you don't want to lose your hat there. He illustrates the point well. You don't want to be that guy. Your perception is that you are the coolest thing out there. But other people's perception of you might be something a little different. Now, this gets personal. I'm a little scared this morning. As I come to you and talk, I'm scared that I actually might be living this out. I might be living this out. In fact, I think that um, what is growing on my face, I think it looks cool. And I'm having fun playing with it and experimenting and different things. But there's a whole other group of people who have been quite vocal, in fact, about their disdain for my beard. And and so I'm a little self-conscious this morning that that maybe my perception of my reality might be different than those around me. Maybe you guys can help me out with that afterwards. <laughs> we do this, though. We, we, uh, we sometimes, thank you for that whistle. That does make me feel better. <laughs> we, uh, we live in this, uh, in this, interesting, uh, this interesting climate where our perception can become our reality. In fact, it's really just a fact. People's perception of reality becomes their reality. And so um, that can go scary. That can get scary when it goes wrong. I brought some, uh, I brought some paintings to show you up on the screen here. I love this. this is, have you guys ever heard of 3D street art? It's amazing. It blows me away. 
because it, it, your perception of it is totally different. These are artists that take a flat floor or a flat street, and they will paint a three-dimensional image that looks like something totally different. I, got, I have some examples here. Take a look at this. That's just the mall or the, the floor of a, of a building, and somebody has, uh, has painted it to look like the ocean and that the bricks are falling away. Take a look at the next one here. This one freaks me out. This actually freaks me out. That is a flat mall floor. That totally looks like a swimming pool in the middle of the mall, and it's not there. It's so weird. Yeah. So we got glaciers. Keep going. Waterfalls. I mean, this is, this is flat. Your perception of this is like crazy, right? But the reality is, is that it's just a street. It's just a flat, normal street. This one's kind of crazy because the hose isn't there. The water is not there. Even the drain that the, it's going into is not there. The guy is there. The, the person is there. But the rest of it is, is all painted, and it looks completely real. See, people's, reali- people's perception becomes their reality. And, and what, you, um, what you represent and what you want to portray to the world, it may be something totally different than what the world is perceiving and picking up and the reality that they see. That can be a scary thing. When people look at your life, what do they perceive? When people see you, what do you really represent in their reality? That might be something totally different than what you think you represent. This morning, I want to explore this a little bit, this, this perception and reality. Because people need to see, listen to this, people need to see the real you so that they can see the real Jesus in your life. Let me say that again. People need to see the real you so they can see the real Jesus in your life. And that means that we have to live a life of authenticity in front of people. Now, living a life of authenticity allows people to experience God in a real way through any of the situations that we face in life. That means not just the good situations. It means the messiness. It means the ugliness. It means living in authenticity for other people to see through all of it. Well, God has been taking me on a journey, a very personal journey of discovering what it looks like to live in authenticity. And today I want to share with you some of my own journey of finding what it means to be real and live in authenticity in the middle of messiness, in the middle of ugliness. And I want to kind of give you an update on, on where things are at with Denise and myself and, um, and how we're moving forward. Before we do that, um, I want, to, want you to go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul has something to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 about, about this idea of, of what we represent. As you turn there in your Bible, um, let's go ahead and pray this morning.
Father, I, uh, I thank you that we have an opportunity to come and open your word and learn from you this morning. And Lord, I pray that as we do that, that Lord, you would challenge us, that you would give us ears to hear, and that Lord, you would, you would really grip our hearts to understand more of you in ways that maybe we have been resistant to, and maybe in ways that you want to break through in new ways today. So Lord, we give you this time. We give you the this time to your Holy Spirit to do his work. In Jesus' name, amen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 14 through 17, Paul is talking about this idea of what we represent and what people perceive about us. So follow along with me as I read, starting in verse 14 here. He says, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Verse 15, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death. To the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Now, I want to kind of break that passage down a little bit as we, as we talk this morning. And I want to look at four ways and bring you kind of into my own journey of discovering these four ways of learning to be real and learning how to live in authenticity. So first this morning, living in authenticity means being real with myself, being real with myself. Now, Paul begins this section talking about being an aroma. He says that we are uh, the aroma of Christ, the pleasing aroma. Now, an aroma is a powerful thing, right? Smells can be a powerful, powerful thing. And they can take you back to your childhood of sitting in your grandma's house and smelling the chocolate chip cookies that are uh, just about to come out of the oven. Or they can be something on the side of the sports field that when there's a concussion, they bring out the smelling salts and wave that, and just the aroma can snap somebody out of a concussion. It's amazing. There's also some... Um, less wonderful, less life-giving smells that we can experience sometimes. Things like uh, roadkill or nasty trash that you have to take out. I hate taking the trash out to the dumpster. They always, the, the dumpsters stink. There, there's some smells out there that can make you wish you were in the concussion before the smelling salts come out. It's a powerful thing. And look at verse 14. He says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. He actually says that we, God uses us to spread the aroma of him everywhere. That's pretty cool. That's a powerful, powerful thing. But I didn't really understand what it was talking about with the whole like Christ triumphal procession and us being captives part. So I, I, was, I looked that up a little bit. And uh, what Paul was, was saying 
He was referring to a Roman triumph. And, and that was a victory parade for a conquering party. So when they'd go out and they'd battle and they'd fight, and the conquering party would bring all their captives home and they would march through in this procession. And it included both the victorious army and it included all of the people that they had taken captive. And as part of these celebrations, the, the, they would burn fragrance and they would burn spices. And, and so there would be this aroma that would fill the air. And what Paul is saying is that, that as that happened, to some, that aroma was life-giving. It was life. To the victorious army there, it was celebration. It was victory. They had done it. They had defeated. But to those who were in captivity, those who had been captured, the losing army, it was the smell of slavery, of oppression. It was the smell of possible death. And so the aroma meant something completely different. And what Paul is saying is he's getting them to ask the question, what aroma do I represent? Does the aroma of my life represent life to people? Do I represent Christ? Or does the aroma of my life represent death? And as we've already talked about, the scary thing is that sometimes our perception can be that it's one thing, but people's reality on the receiving end can be something different. And so we have to come to a point of real honesty with ourselves and ask the gut-level question, what aroma do I really represent? Am I really the aroma of Christ? Well, God has, uh, has been teaching me about authenticity and being real through a pretty difficult situation. Most of you would know that, um, that about three months ago, my wife stood on this stage where I am and publicly confessed to having an affair. She was dismissed from her assignment as an associate pastor here at New Hope, and her pastoral license was suspended by Foursquare, our denomination. Now, obviously, this came as, um, as quite a shock to me, and, and I was faced with some real choices of how to respond to this. That's when God began leading me on a journey of discovering what it means to really live real in front of people, to live my life in authenticity. Now, I have to tell you, we have amazing pastors and leaders here at this church. John and Kim Amstutz have come alongside Denise and I. They have guided us. They have counseled us. They have cried with us. They, they have been an amazing support to us. And that's also been our experience with our district leadership. Pastor Dennis Easter has, uh, has given us his support. He's met with us. He's encouraged us. And I realize that that... that positive experience that we've experienced in this, that may not be the experience that everybody has had in dealing with situations of hurt, even here at this own church. But God is doing something new. God is bringing restoration, and he's bringing hope. 
And so I want to encourage you, if you have been through a season of hurt because of the church or leadership or different things, this is a new season and it's a new day. And God is doing a new thing. And I'm here to tell you firsthand knowledge that we have great, great leadership that cares about the hurts and pains that people are going through. And that's been the experience that Denise and I have had. After Denise confessed to me, I went to San Diego, uh, and I spent a couple days down there with my sister uh, just to process and kind of wrap my head around things. And, and those days were really about deciding how I was going to respond to this situation. And it was, it was hard. It was really I was confused, I was angry, I was hurt, I was sad, I was lost. And my tendency would probably be to want to smooth things over and, and convince myself that things are okay or that things that are, are going to be okay and to really not, um, really not feel the emotion of that all, of all of the situation. But I decided in those first few days that I wanted to be raw. I wanted to choose to feel the emotions because I knew that true healing would have to start with being real with myself. That wasn't easy. I cried. My sister cried with me. And there was freedom in being real with myself about how I was feeling I was all over the map, both uh, geographically and emotionally, and that was okay. And I, I don't think that there's been a time in my life where I have been that real and that honest with myself about my own emotions and my own feelings. Being the aroma of Christ means that we choose to be the real deal. And it has to start with me being real with myself and asking the tough questions of what kind of an aroma am I going to be to this world? And not only do what aroma do I think I am to this world, but in reality. Not so that there's, there's a guessing game and people fill in the gaps to create some other thing. What am I putting out there for people to see? Am I transparent? so that they see what's actually going on. Aroma is a powerful thing. I remember when I was growing up, uh, I think I was about 13, and uh, I had an experience with an aroma that was, was pretty profound. <laughs> we, uh, we, in my house, we, uh, we were woken up in the middle of the night with the sound of a banging. It sounded like somebody was taking a baseball bat and just like, banging on the furnace ducts and it was just reverberating all through the whole house and so like we're we're all up the whole, my whole family's up and my dad's like freaking out he's like do i need to evacuate the family like do i need to what do i need to do and and i have to admit like my dad went a little neurotic in some in, in some moments here and uh, i know he's going to listen to this so this is this is kind of funny to talk about anyway so um so he, he went on a quest to figure out what was going on. And uh, phase one of the quest was doing a perimeter search. And in the perimeter search, he found that there was digging near the, uh, 
near the foundation of the house at one point, and that something had burrowed under our house. So uh, the next phase, phase two, was getting canning jars, mason jars, and lining the whole house with canning jars. This is where the neurotic part starts to kick in, in case you were wondering. And so he did that so that if they came back or exited out of the house, we weren't sure where they were, uh, that he would hear the clanking and be able to come and see exactly what was under our house. It didn't work. So phase three kicked in. Mind phase three? Phase three kicked in. Phase three included dusting the entire backyard with flour so that he could hone his tracking skills, so that he could match up the prince with whatever animal he was on the hunt for. Well, uh, he did find a few tracks, but it didn't really give him a lot of clues. So he set up an elaborate system of mirrors so that he could track and, and see if there was clanking or if there was footprints that he could track. Like, he would be able to see what was going on without creeping up on him and scaring him away. So um, that didn't work too well either. Phase five, I think is what I'm up to. Phase five was him getting together with our neighbor and creating a trap door mechanism so that there was a weighted door that they could come out from under the house, but then it would go back up and block them. Well, apparently these animals had a concierge. They had a doorman. And the, uh, they would let themselves in and out. How kind of them. How, how, how chivalrous of the, those little critters. So this was all fine. It was going okay. My dad was actually having a good time with this. He felt like he had purpose and meaning. Until one night, we had guests over to spend the night. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, the banging. But this time, the banging was accompanied by an aroma. An aroma that wafted through the furnace ducts, leaving no corner of the house untouched by the wonderful scent of skunks. And so I remember waking up in the middle of the night to this smell, this putrid, horrible... uh, We thought that once again, we're under attack. We ended up having to clear out all of the bedding, take all of the stuff out of the closets and throw it away. The smell permeated everything, everything. Aromas can be a powerful thing. Now, I'm sure those skunks, which we found out it was their mating habits to to bang and to let off their aroma. I'm sure to the skunks, that was a pleasing aroma. (laughs) It was aroma that was going to bring life. But to those of us who were experiencing that aroma, it was not an aroma of life. It was an aroma of death. Paul is trying to get his, his listeners to understand that they are an aroma. For good or for worse, their lives tell a story. And this morning, if we're going to live in authenticity, we have to be real about what the story is that our life is living out. What aroma 
do you represent this morning? So first, living in authenticity means being real with myself. But second, living in authenticity also means being real with God. Being real with God. Have you ever tried to hide something from God? It's not an easy thing to do. Remember uh, Adam and Eve? How did that work out for them? They tried to hide their sin, didn't they? We try to hide things from God, and it's really, it, it, it's not that easy to do. Psalm 139, 13 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So the God who knit us together and created us and knows our every thought is the same God that we would try to hide things from, that we wouldn't sometimes be completely honest with. What a joke, right? Come on. God knows those things already. We, we can't represent Christ, though, if we're not being real with Him. We can't represent somebody that we're not even being real with. And so sometimes we try to do that, and, and we misrepresent Him. We end up doing something that, that doesn't represent Him quite right. We try to represent Him in front of people but then we try to hide our private mess from him. He knows that we have messes. He knows where we stand. Look again in 2 Corinthians with me. In verse 15 there, and continuing, he says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. We, we talked about that. Among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. Now listen to this. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. This is interesting. This, this, this language is, is it's really fascinating. Paul is basically saying, he says, God made us, God made Jesus, God made it possible for, be, for us to be that aroma, and then we turn around and he asks us to represent that aroma of Christ back to him. It's weird, right? Why would he do that? God literally asks us to represent him to himself. And he does that so that we, have, we can have relationship with him. He doesn't need us as part of that equation. He already has the full picture. But he invites us into this relationship where we get to represent him, and in honesty before God, we get to represent Christ back to God. It's so cool that God loves us that much that he allows us to be part of this relationship of representing him. And Paul's blown away by this. Paul says, who is equal to such a task? Well, nobody is equal to the task of representing God to God, right? But that is the privilege that God gives us. He already knows everything about us. But some people were trying to misrepresent that. And you see here in verse 17, it says, it says that some were trying to peddle the word of God for profit. 
They weren't representing Christ to God. They were representing Christ to line their own pockets. They were misrepresenting Christ. But Paul says, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity, with honesty. We're laid bare before God. That word sincerity means being free from pretense, deceit, or hypocrisy. When you're before God, there really only is sincerity because he knows where you stand already. For me, being real with God and really laying myself before God meant realizing that I needed him as I have never needed him before. And one of the early uh, counseling sessions that I did with my counselor, he turned to me and he said, John, it sounds to me like this is maybe the first time in your life that you've needed God. And I thought about that. I'm like, are you serious? Of course I need God. But as I have wrestled with it, and I've dealt with the pain, and I've processed, I needed God like never before. See, we, I've needed God, but this was the first time I needed God. There's confusion, there's pain, there's no plan B, there's only God. And without Him, I'm lost. And as I've been walking through processing our own situation and our, our own relationship, I have needed God in a way that I've never experienced before. And so for me, the authenticity before the Lord was to simply come to Him and let Him know, I can't do this on my own. I need you. Not in some trite, Christian, trumped-up, yeah, we need God. But in the authenticity and real, reality of knowing He's my only option. I need Him. This morning, we need to be real with God. I want to be an aroma of Christ to the world. And the world needs that desperately. But if that's going to take place, then we need to be desperate for God. We need to be real with God. So living in authentic, authenticity means coming to God in sincerity and being honest with Him about where you're at. And maybe there's where you're at this morning is unbelief. Maybe there's areas of hurt or pain from the past. Maybe you're mad at God. I don't know. I don't know what those areas of honesty and, and being real and authentic before God would look like for you. But if we're going to live in authenticity, that's where we have to start, with me and with God. Well, thirdly, this morning, that living in authenticity also means being real with my Christian community. Being real with my Christian community. Now, this is not an easy thing to live out as well. Um, I, I, I love the South, and I've visited there a couple times. I've been to Atlanta. I, I love the I love fried, the fried chicken, the okra, the grits. The, I love all of the southern food. Harold's with me. Amen. Well, I, this last time I, I was in Atlanta, we were walking through the streets, and we looked over and saw a, a, a shop. It was a clothing store, and it was just simply called Churchwear. 
And that's all they sold was clothes to wear to church, church clothes. And I thought as I looked at that, I thought, wow, they have to buy special clothes to go to church. That's my California relaxed mentality. I happen to like that we, you know, don't have to dress a certain dress code here at church. We, uh, we're pretty casual here. But I thought about that a little bit deeper. I thought, wow. So they put on a special, special clothes to come to church. I thought, you know, we do that, don't we? We put on ourselves to come to church. And sometimes it goes a lot deeper than our clothing. We put on a lot of different things to come to church. And we come in the church doors like the family on the video, right? High-fiving, all smiles, life is great. But under the surface, there's stuff sometimes. Stuff swirling. Life doesn't look so grand. It doesn't feel so great. Of course, it's not wrong to look good, but we can tend to put on church and a church version of ourselves and not really live in authenticity with one another. This can have some dramatic effects on both the way we communicate and interact together and about how the world perceives us when we do that. Some of the side effects I, I was thinking of is, number one is people can see two versions of Christians. And when they see two versions of Christians, they label the church as a bunch of hypocrites. Because if you come to church and you put on your church persona, what happens when you go out of the doors and you leave church? You remove and take off church. Well, that's not authenticity, is it? Being people of authenticity and living a real life in front of people means that we have to be genuine and transparent. Another side effect to, to our world when we do that is that we can become so concerned with keeping up appearances that we sacrifice relationship. We can be so concerned with, with how I look, do I look right, that we worry so much about that that we, we miss out on how somebody next to us is doing. And so the body of Christ becomes fractured. A third thing is that the depth of relationships can corrode. And when it corrodes, there's no accountability, there's no unity, and gossip can begin to prevail. Church becomes less about worshiping God, and it can become more about what I can get out of it. I pray to God that we don't ever become a church that's marked by that. I want to live as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. All of those pictures that the Bible gives us of living out in community and relationship together, I sure hope that New Hope embodies those things, that we can be real with one another. Jesus warned his disciples about this. In Matthew 23, uh, he, he said this. He says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. 
They tie up heavy and cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do, uh, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and be called rabbi by others. We need to live in authenticity. Jesus warned us against this. You know, sometimes the problem is not that we represent something that we're not. Sometimes it's that we don't represent who we are. We don't represent the Christ in us and who we actually are. Our fragrance loses its aroma. When I returned from those first few days in San Diego, Denise and I met with uh, John and Kim and with Dennis Easter, our divisional, or our district supervisor. And uh, John and Kim uh, helped us process through this, and, and I was grateful for just them helping us understand some of the dynamics. And they said, basically, it's your choice how you move forward in this, and your choices basically boil down to two options. One, you could leave the church. You could leave New Hope. And if you left New Hope, this is what it would look like. You would probably not want to have relationship with any of the people at New Hope who have been your family because those people will represent hurt and pain that you experienced while you were at New Hope. It wasn't the church's fault, but we make those associations. They also said, you, you know, also, if you choose that option, you probably won't even want to ever come to Simi Valley. Simi Valley will represent a dark place for you. It will represent pain and hurt. They said, but you also have another option. The, uh, the, your second option, plan B, would be to stay at the church. And I am grateful that John and Kim have given us the opportunity to remain a part of New Hope. They said, now, if you choose to stay at the church, that will also have some things that come with it, one of which being was that you will choose to live in authenticity before the congregation. Now, Pastor John has not asked me to give this message today. He's not, he's not mandated anything. But this morning, part of the, our message is being real before you as a church. Because John and Kim said, you, you need to live in authenticity before the church. We will not be a church that will brush this under the rug or pretend that nothing ever happened and move on as business is like usual. We will deal with this. And so you saw Denise come up and give a public declaration, a public confession of what had taken place. And we have tried, as, as, as difficult it has, as it has been, to be really open and honest and transparent in all of our process. We've had, I've had some great, great conversations with many of you. Uh, you have shared your love and support, and, and I've had some great conversations of just laying it out, what, what I'm experiencing, what I'm feeling, what's going on. New Hope, I want to commend you. I want to thank you for embracing Denise and I. 
You know, I know that that hasn't always been the story that has been lived out in our church. And I want to let you know that this is the mark of a new day. That there is grace and hope and there is people who can come alongside you in your moments of hurt and pain. And I want to thank you as a church for coming alongside Denise and I. We have felt that and it has been amazing. Thank you so much. We... We feel so honored and humbled to be part of the New Hope family. We take that really seriously, and we love the body of New Hope. We love this church. So as John and Kim laid that out to us, uh, and really put the ball in our court of what you can chew, what we, what we chose, and as they did that, I, I knew I wanted to stay in, in Simi Valley and at New Hope. This is our home but I really struggled with the fact that I would be required, not by the church, but by God, I would be required to live out my struggle and my process openly for people to see. And I struggled with God about that. And any time that you actually will take that struggle to God, He will change your perspective, and He changed mine. God began to transform my heart, and He showed me that while this situation was not what he intended to happen, he would use it to bring himself glory. And part of that bringing himself glory was that he showed me that in my willingness to share my journey, he was actually giving me an opportunity to represent him, to represent his aroma of bringing life to people's situation that can bring him glory in a powerful, powerful way. You know, when we're the church that doesn't put up a false front, when we're the church that lives in authenticity with each other, it brings incredible freedom. It brings freedom for people who can say, oh my gosh, he's going to go there? Well, I guess that I can tell my stuff then too. I guess I can be honest about the ugliness going on in my situation. We need to be a church that's real with one another. It brought to me to, uh, to mind Paul's words from prison when he said, consider it all joy when you face trials of all different kinds. How can he even say that? Consider that joy. He knew that it would result in bringing God glory. So Denise and I decided to stay at New Hope, to live out our journey publicly, to have those conversations. When we break down those barriers of fear and get real with each other, it brings incredible freedom. Church, I want to tell you today, there's people in this room who today are dealing with alcohol and drug addictions. There's people sitting next to you who are dealing with pornography addictions, that have eating disorders, that are struggling with their marriage, that are dealing with physical and emotional abuse, that have broken family relationships. We are not a perfect people. We are sinners. I stand before you a sinner in a broken situation, but we are finding Christ's redemption. 
and in the authenticity of being real with each other, we can walk together to find Christ's redemption. Amen? So one, the first thing is being real with myself. Living in authenticity also means being real with my Christian community, being real before God. Fourthly, and last this morning, living in authenticity means being real with my neighbors. This is really hard. (laughs) We live with this idea that representing Christ to the world means that we have to represent that Christ has made our lives perfect and Christ has done an amazing work in our lives to take us from a place of bondage and hurt to a place of freedom and perfection. And while that is the story that we get to tell when God does that in our lives, it doesn't mean that the world only needs to see perfection. In fact, I think our um, trying to portray perfection actually makes the world cynical and skeptic of Christianity because they know that we're messed up people. They know that we're all in this together, that there's nothing that makes the Christian less susceptible to sin and the attack of the enemy on our life. The difference is that God will take us from those points and he will bring redemption and transformation and process through those. But we live with this idea that we have to portray this life of noble, perfect character and that we have to have it all together But I think that that results actually in people seeing through that and seeing that we don't, that we're actually a mess sometimes. And when that happens, the aroma of Christ that's given off, Christ appears to be a fake and a phony. It's not really who he is. He doesn't make us perfect. He transforms our ugliness and brings life. We live sometimes with this social media distortion. You ever experience that? We will post pictures of our vacation. We will post pictures of the most wonderful, glorious events in our lives. You've got it pasted all over your Instagram, your Pinterest, your Facebook, all of those amazing moments that happen in your life. And so we love to put out this front that our lives are wonderful. Our lives are great. But underneath, oftentimes, there's hurt and there's stuff that we don't represent. We don't represent. Paul continues in 2 Corinthians, he continues his thought right into chapter 3. And in verses 1 through 3, he says this. He says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, listen to this, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. So what he's saying, he kind of changes the analogy from aroma, and he changes it to, we are a letter written from Christ. And 
somebody that was probably coming against Paul's ministry or, or his voice and his, his authority. And Paul's saying, look, you are my letter of recommendation because people can see that you are living out your faith. Paul, Paul established the church. He says, I don't need a letter of recommendation. The letter of recommendation is you, and you're a letter that everyone can read. He's saying, be authentic and let people read your letter because you are the letter of Christ. You are the letter of recommendation. They lived in authenticity for everyone to see. Again, that doesn't mean that we only present our best. It means that we allow people to see in transparency what we're really going through. Because if we don't, they'll fill in the gaps for us. See, we we don't want to leave them and leave ourselves in the mess and the ugliness, but we want to give them the opportunity to see the life and the transformation that God brings bringing us from brokenness into wholeness. Being real here at the church has not been easy, but there was another another level for us in our story of being authentic that was harder, and that was being authentic with our neighbors. We have an upstairs neighbor who we've built relationship with. We we have shared some pretty uh, intimate things. Uh, He's told us about his family life and about some struggles. I had a really hard time with the idea of how do, we, how do we be real about this to him. I was afraid it would blow our witness, that he would automatically say, oh, those Christians, they're a bunch of hypocrites. See, God hasn't done anything in their lives. He hasn't transformed them. How could this ugliness take place? And during this time, Denise was gone. She, she, we were separated for about two months. And I knew, okay, well, he knows that she's gone. He, he knows that something's going on. We've got to be real with this guy. And as we move forward and have been finding help, Denise did move back. And we decided together we need to be real. And so we decided that. And Denise actually beat me to him. And then I got to have a follow-up conversation with him. But his response blew me away. We laid out the whole, the whole nine yards for him. Told him the whole situation. And here's what, here's what his response was. Well, nobody's perfect. That blew me away. He didn't need me to be perfect. He needed me to be honest. He needed to see that a Christian could be authentic and show that there's ugliness that takes place. But now I'm so excited because he gets to watch God at work in our lives. Let me tell you, God has been at work in our lives. Denise and I have been continuing to work through uh, some uh, workbooks and materials together. We're seeing counseling on an ongoing basis. And we are walking through with accountability with John and Kim and with other people. I can stand here today and say that my marriage is stronger today than it has been in years. That is a witness to the power and the glory of God. But no one would ever be able to rejoice with us if they never saw the ugliness and the brokenness and the hurt of a situation. 
Church, I know that in this room there is brokenness. My hope and my challenge to you today is that we can be authentic with ourselves, with God, before each other as our accountability and our help, and with this world so that we can actually represent the aroma of life to this world. I don't know what, how that strikes you or where you're at today, but I want to challenge you to be authentic. You know, there's, there's been a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in this church over the years, and now this is an opportunity to live a new story as we move forward. One that does not run or escape the ugliness, but embraces it and says there will be redemption here and God will do a new work in our church because we are living authentically, living as community and being the bride of Christ together. Let's live that out for the world to see and let's represent Jesus Christ. Let's pray this. Let's pray together. Father God, I, I thank you that it is only by your grace that I can stand here this morning being real with my church and my family and experiencing the power of your love and forgiveness. And Lord God, though I am still right in the middle of hurt and process and pain, you are leading to redemption and you're doing something new. And Lord, I pray that that would mark every situation represented in this room. That Lord, as we bring things to the light, darkness would have no hold. That as we choose to live in authenticity, that freedom would reign. That we would get real with ourselves, we'd be able to be real with each other and real with this world. God, give us the boldness and the courage to live in transparency and authenticity before you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.